for Thursday, May 27th, 2021. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, getting kids vaccinated against COVID-19 has implications for everybody. To have our children not able to receive vaccine will result in ongoing circulation of COVID-19 in children with disease leaping into the adult population. Dr. Evan Anderson with Children's Healthcare of Atlanta is one of many researchers testing vaccines in kids from six months through 11 years old. He'll join me to discuss what his work means for them and the rest of us. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. COVID-19 vaccines for children as young as six months old will be an important tool for ending the pandemic. So says Dr. Evan Anderson with Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. He's one of many researchers around the country running clinical trials on the mRNA vaccine from Moderna in children from six months through 11 years old. And he's with me now to talk about how that work is going and to discuss what it means for all of us. Dr. Anderson, thanks for talking with me. It's my pleasure, Sam. Thanks so much for having me. I want to start just by asking about the few big questions that you're hoping to get answered in this study. We already know a lot about this particular mRNA vaccine from Moderna for adults. What is it that we don't know about how it works for kids uh, from six months to 12 years old? So, Sam, uh, one of the key things is that this is the same vaccine that's being administered to adults right now. And as uh, most of your listeners will know, uh, kids are not just small adults, but rather they do differ a lot in terms of their height, their weight, their body surface area, their fat distribution and muscle mass. And so it may well be that the dose of vaccine that's needed for them is different than what would be needed in an adult. And so one of the first key things that the studies will be doing, both for Pfizer and also Moderna, is to establish the best dose in kids of various ages. Once that's established, uh, the studies will go into a randomized placebo-controlled study in which the immune response is measured, the safety is measured in larger numbers of children, and we get a better handle on any local or systemic symptoms that kids might have shortly after receiving the vaccine. 
So if dosing is the first question you're looking to answer, how do you do that when you're dealing with such a wide age range? An 11-year-old, uh, for instance, is very different than a seven-month-old. Yeah, so the vaccine studies have been conducted for other vaccines for many, many, many years. And so that, I think, is an important thing to be aware of uh, in that there has been a lot of work to generally separate kids into various age groups uh, so that typically roughly five or six to less than 12-year-olds uh, form one group, and then the younger kids are split up into additional groups because, as you said, the dose may well differ between the youngest kids and the 11-year-olds. And my understanding is what's happening here, taking a vaccine that is widely available for adults and adapting it for children, is kind of a reverse of the normal vaccine development process, right? We normally think of vaccines being developed for kids first and kids specifically. Yeah, that's a great point, Sam. So as you have said, a number of our vaccines actually have had very limited adult data that has looked at safety in a few hundred adults before uh, extending down into children. And so examples of that would actually be the Prevnar uh, pneumococcal vaccine and some of our old classic vaccines such as polio and uh, pertussis. Another example would be rotavirus vaccine where we have very limited kind of safety and immune response data in adults to provide the basis for then moving down into kids. And so we haven't typically needed safety and efficacy trials in adults before extending those clinical trials down to kids. And if we're thinking about that process, I mean, what do we know about this specific vaccine for Moderna, maybe other mRNA vaccines that might translate down to these younger populations? We've had some news this week, say, about the efficacy specifically of the Moderna vaccine in, in 12 to 17-year-olds. Can we expect that kind of high efficacy uh, to, to see that in these even younger populations? And are there other things that we've learned from adults that we might see in kids? Yeah, so I think a key point to emphasize is that there's tremendous amount of safety data that's available from uh, the adult population that is immediately able to be translated to some extent to children. So both for Pfizer and Moderna, I think both are now over 100 million doses have been administered to adults in the U.S. And then as uh, people are aware, the Pfizer vaccines received a EUA down to age 12 and Moderna just recently provided uh, the efficacy data. The reassuring thing that we're seeing is that uh, the efficacy in the teenagers actually looks very similar to the efficacy that was observed in the adults. Uh, as we move down to our younger children, we may see similar efficacy. The trials are not powered to be able to demonstrate clear efficacy, meaning the numbers of children that are enrolled are not so large as to be able to kind of guarantee that we'll be able to prove that it actually prevents COVID infection, but it may. And I think that was one of the little surprising facts about the Moderna and the Pfizer studies is that uh, despite the numbers of kids enrolled and the declining rates of COVID, they still were able to demonstrate that they were effective in those teenagers. I want to clarify something that I, I think you said there. It seems like for these studies, these clinical trials in younger kids, is there a different standard? Is there a different bar? It seems like you're indicating you're not going to get enough children or there's not enough disease spread to really demonstrate efficacy like uh, these trials did in adults. Yeah, so a number of uh, vaccines have been licensed based off of what we call immune bridging. 
which is to look at the immune responses observed in children and to then compare those immune responses in another group in which efficacy has been demonstrated, such as the adults. And if you're seeing similar immune responses in kids to those uh, immune responses observed in adults, that is a pathway to potential licensure for the vaccine without being able to demonstrate efficacy. I think one key point is that as the rates of COVID-19 have uh, thankfully fallen here in the U.S., the numbers of children that will become infected during a clinical trial in the midst of their daily lives will be lower than it would have been, say, in January. And so it may be harder to actually prove that it works just due to the much lower numbers of COVID cases in the community. We have just seen uh, from the adult clinical trials such high levels of efficacy in these vaccines, upwards of 90%, and that being reflected in real-world studies too. So how is that going to work in these younger populations? Should people expect that these vaccines are going to be shown to be that effective in these younger kids? And how do you balance that out against you know, the way an, an infant or toddler's body might react to this vaccine, it seems like you would be a little bit more wary of side effects in younger populations. And so the trade-off for that might be a less effective vaccine. That's a great question. And that that's in part what these trials will attempt to really answer is what is that best dose where you have limited kind of reactogenicity, meaning limited fevers, chills, and other irritability or other things that kids might have. Uh, but yet good immune responses from the vaccine. And so it may well be that the dose may be substantially different in our younger children than the dose needed in adults. And so that will be an important kind of balance that will be needed. And I think that that'll be a question that both the manufacturers and ultimately the FDA will be looking very closely at and uh, trying to uh, help ensure that the the best and most safe doses administered that also uh, is likely to result in good immune responses. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? I'm Sam Whitehead, talking today with Dr. Evan Anderson of Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, where he is the study site principal investigator for clinical trials of Moderna's mRNA vaccine for kids from six months through 11 years old. And where is the study right now in process? My understanding is that you're working on phases two and three. Have y'all recruited people? How many have you recruited? Where are kind of things at this current moment? We have indeed recruited people. We have uh, 20 kids involved with the study to date. From the uh, study standpoint, it is still trying to identify the best dose in the various age groups. And uh, there are a number of sites uh, that are recruiting around the country into the clinical trials. So uh, the enrollment is very limited during this initial phase of the study as that best dose is identified. Once that best dose is established, then the study will open up into the phase three component in which uh, it will be placebo controlled and randomized for the vaccine to help identify the full safety profile and the immune response profile and the uh, symptoms that are associated with it in a placebo-controlled fashion to provide the best data. And at that point, once that best dose is identified, we anticipate that the study will uh, fairly quickly enroll nationwide since there's about 90 sites uh, nationwide that are enrolling. You said that there are fewer than, at this point when we're talking on Tuesday, fewer than two dozen 
uh, enrollees in the phase two uh, portion of these trials. That, I think, to a listener might sound like a, a small number. Do you know what that number is nationwide? And, and what are the enrollment targets for phase three? So it will sound small to listeners. And so I think that the key just here being that the phase two component of the study is really trying to identify that best dose. And so small numbers of children are enrolled at a number of different sites around the country in order to help identify that best dose to move forward into the phase three component. Once uh, the study then transitions into the phase three component, then enrollment numbers will be uh, much greater as uh, additional children are needed to enroll into the study. And talk to me about diversity. This was something that got a lot of attention during the clinical trials of these vaccines for adults. The idea that, you know, people leading studies wanted to recruit a diverse participant pool, not only to see how the vaccines might work in different populations, but to just be able to go to the public and say, look, this isn't only this one kind of person who participated in this trial. Are you approaching it the same way for these trials for children? Yeah, diversity is a key issue. I think speaking in general, we want the studies to look like the population of the U.S., where uh, as a nation, we are a diverse nation with large numbers of children of a variety of different uh, ethnic and racial groups. And so that is indeed important, I think, from the study standpoint, that uh, the diversity look like the population of the U.S. as a whole. And uh, to date, we've been able, we've had just tremendous support from uh, our local community. And so at our site, our numbers have looked very similar to the Atlanta population. I know that for the adult studies, specifically those happening at, at Emory trial sites, that data was published or somewhat publicly available for the public to see how the enrollment was going diversity-wise. Is that going to be the case here? Uh, not that I have heard, but uh, certainly by the time the data makes it to the FDA, the overall diversity should be available to the public. I want to kind of zoom out here and just talk about the value of getting younger and younger populations vaccinated. We're a number of months into the vaccine rollout for adults, and we have seen the way that getting you know shots into adult arms has really changed the course of the pandemic in the country. So what could it mean as we get vaccines approved for vaccines authorized, we'll say, because that'll be the first likely step uh, for younger and younger populations just for the pandemic as a whole? So a number of us really recognize that our pediatric populations and our adults do live in community with one another. And so uh, whether it be school teachers, uh, school administrators, parents, grandparents, to have our children not able to receive vaccine or to be susceptible to COVID-19 will result in ongoing circulation of COVID-19 in children with disease leaping into the adult population. And so that concept of quote unquote herd immunity uh, really won't be able to be achieved without having a vaccine available and used in children. Maybe just to, to put it simply, is it your view that we have to vaccinate kids that it is a necessity to really bring the pandemic to an end? So I think the key thing here, Sam, is that uh, we don't want to put the cart in front of the horse. We need to really do the careful studies that are needed in order to evaluate the vaccine and to ensure its safety and to uh, go through 
the appropriate processes such that we feel confident about rolling out the vaccine uh, for children. But yes, I do think that it will be important uh, in terms of ultimately getting a handle on the pandemic for vaccine to be available for our children. What is your vision for what the next year looks like for this population of younger kids and how that kind of plays into the future of, of the pandemic? Yeah, so uh, if uh, the results of the trial uh, look similar to what uh, had happened in adults, I would hope that uh, we might have two vaccines available, Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, I think we don't know as much about where Janssen is at, but two vaccines available for kids. That would really make a huge difference in terms of uh, the safety of getting our kids back to school, the safety of our teachers, the safety of our parents and grandparents for that matter, uh, and all those that interact with children. And so I do think that uh, if the trials are successful and if the right dose can be established and the vaccines move forward towards licensure, I think a year from now, uh, things could look uh, much more like 2019 than uh, the past year has been. We have seen younger children get sick and die uh, from coronavirus infection. There has been this multi-system inflammatory uh, syndrome linked with COVID. But we've also seen kids pulled out of schools. We've seen social lives disrupted. So just really talk about in a very broad sense the impact that you've seen the pandemic have on kids and how these vaccines might pull them out of it. Yeah, um, so I'm a parent similar to probably a number of the listeners. I've got a couple uh, that just were able to receive Pfizer vaccine after uh, the EUA was given. And so they've just been vaccinated and I've got two that are still too young to receive vaccine. We've had a very long year of learning from home, um, online-based schooling, and that is a particular challenge for all of us parents to keep our kids on track, to help them continue to develop socially. Uh, and there's just been a tremendous amount of impact upon our kids. And we, I think, speaking for parents as a whole, we would uh, really like for our kids to be able to get back to school in a safe fashion uh, where we don't need to worry about things. I think we'd like to see our kids be able to get back to their extracurricular activities, whether that be singing in a choir or, you know, wrestling or playing uh, a variety of different sports safely. In addition to getting back to school and seeing their friends and resuming something more similar to life in 2019. Dr. Evan Anderson is a physician and researcher at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. donated to WAB yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. 
You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wab.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.